People's Month here at FCC. And, and if you're brand new or you haven't been with us for a while, um, we let you know that there are six staples of First Christian Church that we feel are very important, very distinctive, help define who we are. And two weeks ago, we looked at staple number two, that we're saved only by the grace of God. You cannot earn your salvation. Last week, we looked at how God's Word is our only authority and, and that we are a people that are called to speak where the Bible speaks and to be silent where the Bible is silent. And sometimes that can be confusing. And we looked at some practical examples and, and really tried to hone in on what does God's Word really say. And that's not just a one Sunday a year exercise, by the way. If there's an issue in your world or an issue in your community or an issue in your life that you're struggling with and that you're wrestling with, I would encourage you to go to God's Word and see does God's Word address this issue. Um, j- just kind of as a warning, two weeks from today, one of the issues that is really just infiltrating our society and our culture and our, our, our country's kind of DNA in, in many ways is this issue of sexual freedom. And so the month of October, we're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to make me uncomfortable, quite honestly, in many ways. And we're going to really look at how does that issue affect Christ followers? And, and what does God's word have to say to Christ followers? So that was last week. Today, we're looking at staple number four. We observe communion every week, the Lord's Supper, communion, same thing. And if there is one thing that the independent Christian church is known for in the circles that I run, maybe the ecumenical circles that I run in with people from other denominations, a lot of times they will say to me, you're the church that does communion every week. That's kind of how we're known in many ways. And it was a real passion. You go back and you read about the founding fathers of the Restoration Movement. Yes, they had a passion for God's Word. Yes, they had a passion for the unity of all believers. But they were very passionate that churches that were not observing the Lord's Supper every week were missing the boat. So I need to kind of give a disclaimer. Um, Some weeks the sermon is uh, very homiletical in nature. Um, and, and maybe very passionate in nature. This week may feel a little bit more like a lecture, and I apologize for that. But what I want to do, many of us did not grow up in the independent Christian church. Many of us are brand new to the independent Christian church. You're just checking us out. So what I want to do is really look at this issue in kind of an all-inclusive kind of way. Some of you that have been here for a while, you're going to say, I've heard that before, and that's okay. Feel free to say an amen along the way if you want to. But for many people, this is new information, and it's really important information. So with that, let's dive in. There are four primary scriptures that you can find in the New Testament that talk about communion. They talk about the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And all four accounts, and this is in your your bulletin, if you have your bulletin, all four accounts include the taking of the bread... The breaking of the bread, the taking of the cup, the thanksgiving or the blessing, the the saying of this is my body, and the explanation of the relationship of blood to the covenant. And for someone that didn't grow up in the church, that that sounds kind of disgusting in many ways. What are you talking about blood? How can blood be tied to the covenant? Well, you read through the Old Testament, you know that blood was a huge issue. Sacrifice was a huge issue. The accounts in Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 record Jesus' command to continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Basically, they're saying this isn't just a one-time thing in the first century. I want you to continue to do it. And we take that command very seriously. 
I want to put up on the screen for you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. This is probably my favorite chunk of Scripture that, that details why communion is important, why the Lord's Supper is important. I just want to read it for you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're ever confused, someone says, is communion really important? Does it really matter? That's where I would go. Those four verses of Scripture would be my favorite chunk of Scripture in the New Testament about the Lord's Supper, about communion. And just some of you have said, is it okay to write in your Bible? Absolutely. Write in your Bible. Mark it up. It's your Bible. The more you write in it, the more it becomes your Bible in many ways. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to ask and answer five questions about communion. Five questions about the Lord's Supper. What's the purpose? How is Christ present? What are some practical Q&As about communion in First Christian Church? What's the Lord's Supper teach us? And then number five is really important for us because one of the criticisms I get from many of you is that because we do it every week, because we don't take a lot of time, because it looks the same way every week, although it's going to look a little different this week, but the, 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 the problem with that is it becomes routine. Where's the specialness of it? I've had people to tell me that I grew up in a church and we did it once a quarter and the, the whole service revolved around it and it was so special. I believe it can and should be special every week. And I'm just going to give you kind of my heart some practical suggestions on how you can make communion. You can make the Lord's Supper special each and every week. So with that, let's dive in. Number one, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Well, if you were listening, when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you probably heard it. The purpose is simply to remember Christ's death. Luke and Paul record these words of Jesus, Do this in remembrance of me. And unfortunately, one of the negatives with our society, one of the negatives with the world in which we live is that so many of us live in the here and now and we're looking forward and we don't spend enough time remembering the past. Let me give you a date, just kind of a FYI. November 4 of this year, you will want to make sure whatever's going on in your life, you'll want to be here. Because we are going to celebrate the legacy, the past, the heritage of First Christian Church. We're going to look at how awesome the, the renovations that have taken place over the last 20 years have been. The beautiful sanctuary, the incredible Family Life Center um, renovation. The blessing that First Christian Church has been to the community of Clinton and DeWitt County and Central Illinois. Not for a year, not for a decade, but for over 150 years. It's important to celebrate our past. Now we can't live in the past. We can't say, well, we have to do things like we did it in 1950 all the, all the time. But it is important to remember. And I would say this, the most important thing that we need to remember about the faith is what Jesus Christ did for us. And every single Sunday morning at First Christian Church, whether I'm preaching or the class act kids are performing or, or whatever may be going on, we take time to pass the elements and to take the bread and to drink the cup simply to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, and, and they're saying, is it snack time now at church? 
Let them know, no, this is the time. This is the five-minute time, the ten-minute time that we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Question number two, how is Christ present during the Lord's Supper? And that may seem like an odd question in many ways, but if you grew up Catholic or you grew up Lutheran, um, that's not an odd question in many ways. And there are really four primary teachings. If you looked at all the, all the churches in Clinton and DeWitt County, my guess is each and every one of them would subscribe to one of these four views. And if you grew up Catholic, you know that the Roman Catholic view is what we call, and this is a big word, transubstantiation. And you may say, what in the world does that mean? Well, a really simple definition of transubstantiation is this. They believe that a prayer is prayed in Latin, hoc est corpus meum, and that the bread ceases to be bread, and it now becomes the body of Christ. And that they use wine. The wine ceases to become wine. It now becomes the blood of Christ. And when the elements are passed to you, if you are Roman Catholic in the Roman Catholic Church, you are not eating bread and drinking wine. You are eating the body of Christ. You are drinking the blood of Christ. It's the actual body and, and blood of Jesus Christ transubstantiation. Well, the Lutherans follow after a guy by the name of, this is pretty obvious, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a reformer in the uh, 1500s, and he came along and he said, it's inconceivable to say that this bread is no longer bread, or that this wine is no longer wine. That's impossible for that to happen. But he believed in what we call consubstantiation. And again, another big word. And, you know, if you're a grade school kid, write these words down and go to school tomorrow and say, uh, hey, teacher, guess what I learned? Transubstantiation, consubstantiation. They'll be really impressed. Maybe not. Uh, Luther believed that while the bread stays bread and the wine stays wine, it does become the actual body. It does become the actual blood. And they coexist with one another. And, you know, if you're struggling to accept the, the, the Catholic concept um, I don't think the Lutheran concept is um, that much easier to grab a hold of necessarily in, in terms of how, how does that actually happen. But the Lutherans believe, I have good friends that are Lutheran. Some of you grew up in a Lutheran heritage. They believe that the body and the blood coexist with the bread and with the wine. Well, another reformer came along, and, and his teachings have really become popular, I would say, in the last decade very influential, especially in American Christianity. And his name was John Calvin. And Calvin said, the bread stays bread. The wine stays wine. But Jesus Christ is present during the communion, during the Lord's Supper. But it's a spiritual presence. He is present spiritually. And then there was a fourth individual, third reformer, fourth view Erlwick Zwingli. Say that 17 times in a row. Erlwick Zwingli. And he believed in what, what we would probably subscribe to primarily. Most independent Christian churches would align with Zwingli. And that's where he, he would say basically that Jesus Christ is present symbolically. That it's a metaphor. That the bread is still bread. The wine is still wine. Or the grape juice is still grape juice. But Jesus Christ is present symbolically. Now, someone will ask me, does it matter if I grew up Lutheran and I'm really buying consubstantiation? Do I have to leave your church? No, you don't have to. But you need to be aware of what the different positions and beliefs are. And and here's where the rubber kind of hits the road in many ways is, um, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, we invite anyone who's a Christ follower 
to, to share in the elements. If you're visiting today and you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to show your membership card to come in to take communion. But guess what? There are some churches that that really is the case. Um, I could not go to the Catholic um, church today and take communion. I, I would not be served. I could not go to the Lutheran church in Chestnut. I've done it before. I would not be served the elements. So that, that's more information down the road. But um, how is Christ present? We would align with Zwingli. Let's move on to question number three. Practical questions about the Lord's Supper. And again, if you grew up at FCC, you grew up in an independent Christian church, probably not a big deal. You probably don't wrestle with this necessarily. But if you grew up in a different church, this is probably a huge deal more than likely. And question number one is, who can administer the Lord's Supper? Who's allowed to serve the Lord's Supper? And First Christian Church would teach that any believer, anyone that's a Christ follower, can administer and serve communion. I always laugh with people that get bent out of shape if uh, some churches have started having couples serve communion. And, and there, there's been a few people that have been really fired up. I can't have a woman serve me communion. Well, I want you to look to your right or your left right now. Everybody do that. If you're sitting next to a woman most weeks, she serves you communion each and every week. Okay? So I think that's kind of silly. I think that's something that we really don't need to be fired up about necessarily. Uh, and we would believe that if you're a Christ follower, any believer can administer the elements. Who should partake in the Lord's Supper? Well, First Christian Church teaches, as I said earlier, that any Christ follower is invited to partake in communion. If Jesus is Lord of your life, if you're a Christ follower, we, we encourage you to partake uh, of the bread and of the juice. Um, you're selling yourself short if you miss that opportunity. Now, we talked about 1 Corinthians 11 a little bit earlier. Sean, put that next slide up, please. Uh, Paul doesn't stop there in his teaching. And I want to read this because there's been some confusion about what exactly is Paul talking about here. So let me read on for you. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. What do we do with those three verses of Scripture? What's, what's that telling you? And this is where I invite you to talk back to me if you want to. When you read that, what, what, what's Paul basically saying about the Lord's Supper, about communion? It's a big deal. It's serious. What else is he saying? Don't do it flippantly. Don't do it in a mocking manner. I used to think that what this was basically saying is that if I was struggling with a sin in my life, and let's be honest, we all struggle at times with sin in our life, I better not take communion. Because the Lord knows my heart. And if I take that bread and I drink that cup and I got an ongoing sin in my life, um, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. I'm drinking and eating judgment on myself. I don't think that's at all what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. In fact, I can't think of someone that is more welcome at the table of remembrance, the table of communion, than the Christ follower that is really struggling with sin. You know, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 said things like, What a wretched man am I. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I'm doing all the time. And so I can't think of a better, better time 
to partake of the elements than when you're genuinely struggling with a sin in your life. Here's what I think Paul was talking about. And I think this is relevant for 2012, and it may be relevant for someone here today. If you come up and you take the bread and you take the the juice, and you know in your heart you're not buying Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. You're not buying at all that Jesus is Savior and Lord. You're here because you had to be here. You're here in protest. You're here and you just think, I can't wait till 9.15 gets here because I am out of here. I think those are the people that the Apostle Paul is talking about. The people that come, and what, what did we read earlier? What happens when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup? What are we doing? We are proclaiming the Lord's death. We are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. We are proclaiming that Jesus is Savior. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying, if you, if you don't believe that, if you're not buying that, don't you dare. This is a big deal. This is important. Well, question number three is, what elements should be used in the Lord's Supper? And uh, how many of you have ever been at a church that used real wine for communion, and you didn't know they were going to use real wine? That happened to me in Cancun one time, and uh, wow, that, that was a wake-up call in a hurry. That was a communion I'll never forget. Um, is there a right answer? Well, here's what we know about the New Testament. We know that they used unleavened bread because it was the Passover feast, time of the year. We know that they used real wine because they didn't have grape juice back. Grape juice was invented in like 1857. So that's just what it was. It was unleavened bread and it was wine. And most weeks at FCC, you get a little cracker that really doesn't taste like bread. It kind of tastes like a little cracker. And you get grape juice. Who's buying our grape juice now? Do you know? Is is it Welch's still, or have we moved on to a different brand? I I don't know. Okay, it's grape juice. Okay, Um, does that matter? Does that make it less special because we're not using baked unleavened bread and we're not using red wine? I, I don't think so. We believe that the Lord's Supper is a time where we remember Jesus. And I will tell you, when my kids were little. And I would stay home with them on a Sunday morning when I wasn't preaching every week. And my wife would go to church at Jeff Street because she was doing junior church. We would do communion together when the kids were little. And we would use um, red Kool-Aid and saltine crackers, okay? And I I think it worked. You know, I I think it did the trick in many ways. I think we have to be very careful here. And I want to give you an illustration of what happened to me about a year ago. I preached out at family camp. Uh, Labor Day weekend last year, and Jim led worship, and we decided on Sunday morning we're going to do communion like we're going to do communion this morning, which is very different for most independent Christian churches. We're going to do stations, we're going to get French bread, we're going to get the wine glasses, we're going to use grape juice, and we're going to invite people to come, and they're going to have an opportunity to partake um, in, in an individual way. And after the service that morning, I mean, people are coming up, that was wonderful, thank you, very meaningful, never done communion like that, and we were in the cafeteria, Jim and I and Ernie and several of us were eating, and a lady came up to me, and I could just tell, you know when people are walking towards you and you know they're not happy campers? You know, you can kind of see, and, and you want to kind of like think to yourself, she's probably mad at the person behind me, but she's like walking right toward me. Well, this is the incident. I'm just diving into my chicken strip. It's a great time, and uh, just starts tying into me. You may have led me to sin. I can't believe what you forced me to do today. And I'm like, what, what did I do? I mean, I preached from the book of Leviticus. I mean, come on now. How, how can this be difficult stuff? And she said that for the first time in her 70 years, I think, or something like that on earth, 
she had taken communion without unleavened bread. She was incensed that it was French bread, bread with yeast. And I said, well, you know, I'm sorry. I've done it multiple times, and I'm still here. I I think it's okay. Um, I don't think it's a big deal necessarily. But um, I've, I've got to just tell you, I think you're missing the point of communion. She was fired up, very, very, very angry. She said, we didn't do it today like the New Testament. If I would have been good on my feet, and, and I, I'm not good on my feet a lot of the time, I would have said, well, you know, you've been taking communion for 70 years with grape juice, and the New Testament uses real wine, so maybe you've got bigger things to worry about than the French loaf that you just took for the first time in your life. But fired up, angry. How could you force me to do such a thing? If we're having those discussions, we're, we're missing the point. We're missing what communion is all about. And yet I know for some it's been a struggle to transition to an independent Christian church that uses individual cups, uses just little tiny crackers. That's different, and we've struggled with that in many ways. Okay, number four, how often should we partake of the Lord's Supper? And before we put the answer up on the screen, I want to ask you a question, and I want to have a vote, okay? I want to just kind of test your your knowledge this morning. Does the Bible New Testament command us to take communion every Sunday morning, yes or no? If you think yes, raise your hand, okay? And if you think no, raise your hand, okay? Interesting. A lot of people not voting this morning because you're not really sure. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We follow the example at First Christian Church of the church at Troas. The church at Troas, one of the churches on one of the missionary journeys, we see this commentary in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, we gathered together for the breaking of bread. It's obviously talking about communion. There is not a command that I have found that you are to gather every Sunday at 8.15, and if you don't do communion and you die that week, you're going to hell. I, I don't see that there. That's not in my Bible. If it's in your Bible, bring it to me, and we'll try to figure out what you're reading, because I don't think you're reading the same Bible that I'm reading. We are commanded to do it in remembrance of Jesus. In God's Word, it says, do it as often as you gather. Now, let me ask you this. Do we do it as often as we gather? Do we? Do we, Ivy? We don't, do we? We're going to get together Wednesday night, aren't we? And we're not going to take communion. Although, maybe we will, based on this sermon. I don't know. But the the point is this. Um, I'm glad we do it every week. I hope you enjoy that, that that's a part of every service on Sunday morning at First Christian Church. I do not think you have the right to go out from this service and gather with your Mexican, or Mexican, Methodist friends. I don't know where that came from. Whoa. I was going to say Methodist friends at the Mexican restaurant. But let's just change that around. With your Methodist friends at Weldon Springs. Or your Assembly of God friends. What else is open in Clinton on Sundays? The Mexican restaurant. Okay. You cannot go up to them and say, we're right and you're wrong. I don't think you can do that. I would not encourage you to do that. Um, You can go, and I do say this to people. I'm really glad I'm part of a church that does it every week. I wouldn't be comfortable being in a church that didn't have it as a part of every Sunday morning service. But you do not have biblical permission to go and say, we're right, you're wrong. Let's move on. Question number four. What does the Lord's Supper teach us? And I think this might be the most important part of this message for you if you've grown up in this church because i have discovered over the course of time here in ministry 
uh, and not just here in ministry, but in, in, in independent Christian churches, that many people have grown up in the church, and they know we do communion every week, and they're glad we do communion every week, but they're not really sure why. They couldn't really articulate what's it all about. So, number one, the first thing that the Lord's Supper teaches us reinforces the question number one. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the death of Christ and the sacrifice that it entails. Let's be honest. Crucifixion, the crucifixion, was absolutely awful. Any crucifixion is absolutely awful. If you watched the movie when it came out in 2004, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, and I know some of you watch it, and I know some of you have said you'll never watch it, and you have that right to, to, to take that stand. It was helpful for me because I think it's the first time I was ever, I, I've studied the crucifixion for decades. I think it's the first time I was able to visualize how graphic, how awful, how painful, how terrible the death really was. How just gruesome a crucifixion is. And so the first thing when you take the elements, the bread and the juice, it's the call to remember Christ. That's first and foremost, the call to remember Christ. I also think that the Lord's Supper symbolizes our dependence upon the Lord. The call to rely on Christ. And I would throw this out to you today. We're going to have a little more time during the communion moment than we normally do. Jim and, and Ethan are going to be playing for us. And um, you may want to, after you partake of the elements this morning, you may want to just take time and, and just remind yourself how much you need the Lord. How important your faith is for your daily life. Number three, the Lord's Supper points us towards Christ's return. It points us to the return of Christ. And see, every time I take the bread, every time I drink the cup, I am reminded that Jesus is coming again. And so I need to be ready. You need to be ready. And then finally, number four, the Lord's Supper reflects on the fact that our church is one body of believers. That's why I am so passionate, quite honestly, that you don't have to be a member of First Christian Church to partake in the elements. I, I've got to just tell you, I think some independent Christian churches, well-meaning in many ways, have, uh, have kind of taken stands in the past, I'm talking decades ago, where, where they, they really kind of drew a line in the sand. They said, if you haven't done this, 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 or this, you can't take communion. You're not welcome at the table. I, I sat in a, in, a, in a small Lutheran church during a Monday, Thursday service, invited by one of the people in my life that I'm closest to, and, and I was forbidden to come up and, and take the elements. I got the stop sign. And that's one of the most difficult spiritual experiences I've ever went through, quite honestly. The message that was sent, I'm not throwing stones at other churches, but the message that was sent is you're really not one of us. You're really not on our level. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of the call to unity, that we are one. Whether rich or poor, whether new to Clinton, been here all your life, whether Cub fan, Cardinal fan, whatever it may be, we are one. We are all in this together. Well, normally when I do this teaching, I stop right here. I have a prayer, and, and that's all she wrote. But I want to end with a fifth question that, that I think is really important. If you find yourself falling into just routine, 
And Jim says this next song is going to prepare us for communion. And the person that's doing the meditation comes up on the stage. And, man, you just find your mind wandering. You're thinking about where are we going for lunch. You're thinking who are the bears playing today. You're thinking what, when am I going to mow the grass. You're thinking what am I going to do with my time. Um, you're, you're missing the boat. You have allowed communion just to become kind of routine. So I want to give you some suggestions on how you can make the Lord's Supper special each and every Sunday at First Christian Church. And the first thing is come ready to worship. Come ready to worship. I am so blessed. I get up at 5.30 on Sundays and I'm out the door by 6.30 and I'm here early. And I absolutely love that. Um, no one in my house gets up at 5.30 on Sundays. No one in my house gets up at 6.30 on Sundays. So, I mean, I'm all alone the whole morning. And, you know, other than having to kick Ernie out of my office on Sunday mornings because he's just out of control sometimes. I mean, I have time to really just prepare for worship and just to kind of soak in the, the spirit of the Lord in many ways. I think for so many of us, however, man, it's just a, a hustle and a bustle to get here by 8.15. And our kids are driving us crazy, and we're trying to smack them upside the head as we're driving here. And we come into church, and we're just, oh, we're just, we're just frustrated in many ways. You're going to have a hard time having a great experience that morning. Not just with communion, but with the entire morning in many ways. So come ready to worship. Number two, have realistic expectations. And what I mean by that is um, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And I would encourage you, if you find yourself struggling with communion just being routine, every week during communion time, just focus on one area of your life that you need to improve spiritually. And make that kind of the focus of the time of communion. Lord, help me overcome my, my struggle with doubt. Lord, help me overcome my struggle with fear. Lord, help me overcome my struggle with worry. Lord, this sin has a death grip on me. Help me. Help me. Number three, sometimes it's good just to write out a prayer. Just write out a very simple prayer. You don't have to show it to anybody. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your purse. Number four, read scripture. I, I gave you the four primary scriptures. And most of the time, the people doing the, the meditation do the same thing. They give you a scripture to think about. But maybe if you're in the middle of the auditorium and it's going to be a while till the elements come to you, just open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. doesn't just have to be about communion. Open to 1 Peter 1. talks about how we were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And then finally, this is helpful, touch your hands. Touch your forehead, touch your leg, your foot, where Jesus' body was broken for you. Here's the bottom line this morning. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Three words I have for you. Never forget Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for this opportunity that we have to do church a little different this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to focus on the difference that Jesus made for us when he went to the cross and the difference that Jesus makes for us as we continue to live our lives. Father, I am so unworthy. We are so unworthy. We fall short 
of what you want us to be. And that in itself sounds just so bleak. But the good news is it's not about being good. The good news is it's not about having it all together. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. It's all about the one time for all time sacrifice. It's all about the hope that only Jesus brings. And so this morning as we take the bread and as we dip it in the juice, help us just to remember Jesus died for us. Jesus died for me. His body was broken for me. His blood was spilled for me. Thank you so much for Jesus. May we never forget. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to do communion a little different, as I'm sure you are aware. I have several instructions for you. Our, our time for communion is probably going to be five to six minutes. And that may not seem like a long time. That really is a long time. So you don't need to jump up right away. You can, but you don't need to. When you are ready and if you are able, we have six stations that are prepared for you with a loaf of French bread and a wine glass full of grape juice. And we encourage you to break off a piece of bread and to dip it into the grape juice and to remember the difference that Jesus makes. If you're unable to get up or if you just don't want to get up, if you like the crackers and you like the little cup, we're going to have a couple ushers available to serve you. I would just ask that you raise your hand fairly high so that they can see you. As you know, the, the cross has been put on the stage. We did this to just reinforce for all of us what this time is all about, the difference that Jesus makes. If you are in need of prayer, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're dealing with something, I, I invite you to come to the cross up on the landing area and, and to just cry out to the Lord. If you want someone to pray with you, Kent is in the back and Ernie's up front and I'm up front. And we'd be happy to pray with you during this time. It's all about Jesus. Never forget Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we now have to remember you, to remember what you did for us. We thank you for Jesus, for his broken body, for his shed blood. It's in your name we pray.
Cross. 